I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle and Karen is with me. Hi. We're talking about hands-on is minds-on today. When kids are engaged in a project, when they're exploring in new and different ways, when they're not just learning the same old way, you know, reading the passage and marking the right answers, but when they're actually creatively coming up with solutions and working on something with their hands, they're more engaged, more parts of their brain are active, and it allows us to retain more and understand more and think more creatively. Okay, so we're going to kind of break this into two sections. First, we're going to talk about how it benefits kids, some of the things that hands-on learning will really help all kids to do better and to improve their lives. And then the second section is more, how do you actually implement that in your homeschool? And you know, what do you as the teacher mom do to make hands-on learning effective? I think hands-on projects engage all kids. So back in episode four, we were talking about blending learning styles. Yeah. And we talked about do it, see it, and hear it kids. I think all kids, doesn't matter what their learning style is, if you do something hands-on, it helps them. Like if you're a do-it kid, I think that's fairly obvious. If they're actually doing something with their hands, they're going to be more engaged. They'll remember this stuff better. They'll make connections. Their brain is making connections while they're working with their hands. Absolutely. But but I think see-it kids are benefiting too. So how, how would they be benefiting? The more engaged they are in different ways all of those learning styles benefit from it. So a see it kid actually does benefit when they're seeing something and doing something more than they would if they're just seeing something. And, and they're seeing the projects or the, the work that their siblings are doing if there's more than one child. Or if you're homeschooling them alone, hopefully you're doing it with them and they're seeing you and they're modeling you as yes. the, the teacher learner. And they're still engaged somehow in books or videos or things that they're seeing as well. It's not like we give kids a project and don't have any sort of scaffolding or instruction or information for them. It's taking all of those styles and blending them together that makes this hands-on learning. So then the here at kids, I think at least at our house, when we're doing a project, we're talking. Either I'm explaining something. I might be reading from a a book about the topic. Like if we're learning about ancient Japan, I might be reading some information about ancient Japan while they're working or the kids are talking to each other about their project. We almost always have books spread out on the same project table that we're working from. We usually have our layers of learning unit book and I'm grabbing little sidebar tidbits or things like that. But we also have books from the library or books from our bookshelf and Very rarely in units do I read an entire book to my kids about something, unless it's a very short book or unless it's, you know, a read aloud. But when we fill our library book basket, we pull it out while we're doing projects and I'll just read a little bit from a page here and a page there and the kids will read a little bit. If they're done with the project early, they'll kind of read out loud to their siblings. So it's a very discussion-filled, engaging type of project. It's not just working in silence. Yeah, you're talking as you're doing it. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit, talking about how it makes kids better communicators. So we'll get to that in a minute. One of the things that 
I don't think I, when I first started homeschooling, I understood was important is that doing hands-on projects helps your kids with real life skills. I have seen as a homeschooling mom, some of the things that school teachers give to kids. For example, there might be a worksheet where all kids do is cut along the line. And that's the whole purpose is just for them to learn to cut. And we never did stuff like that in homeschool. We actually do real projects. But I don't think I realized how important those skills are. You're not a competent person if you can't cut with scissors. <laughs> and, it, and it goes beyond that, of course. But I think hands-on projects help kids learn to be competent with their hands and doing real things. Okay, I have to tell you a funny story about that. <laughs> we had a neighbor, the sweetest lady, and she, all of her grandkids were far away. And so she kind of adopted my kids a little bit as grandkids. And she was an art teacher. And she said, can I come over and give your kids a little art math lesson and it was this paper cutting folding activity that made these 3d shapes that were really cool and she had the compasses out you know the math compasses and they were calculating angles and then cutting the papers and they all matched up perfectly and it was really really cool but several of my kids couldn't cut (laughs) that's kind of embarrassing (laughs) they were pretty little but if they had been in public school they probably would have been better at cutting It was faster for me to cut. So when we needed to cut something, I cut it out for them. And then it was ready and they could just put it together. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that too. Yeah. (laughs) Not taking over your kids' learning, but... That's a hard lesson. (laughs) I know, it really is. But it really is important to let them do the project and let them learn those skills. The fine motor skills, the creative idea skills, all of those skills that come from doing projects, kids get a lot from that. I think another thing that I like about hands-on projects, that hands-on learning style, is variety. I know you've talked before, Karen, about how bored you get doing the same thing over and over. Yes. And I think even if you take something that's really fun, let's say you're reenacting a battle. If you reenact battles every week, even that will get boring. Or if you're doing uh, lap books. I love lap books. But if you're doing nothing but lap booking, it's boring. Yeah. It's really fun at the beginning. And you're like, I I hit on something. This is great. We love this. We're going to keep doing it. And then you buy every lap book that there is on Teachers Pay Teachers and, you know, all of the ones that you can find on Amazon. And pretty soon it's dry. And so you have to keep the projects interesting and always changing if you really want hands-on learning to have its full value. So don't you think that's one of the reasons that people become more eclectic as homeschoolers over time? Absolutely. I... I've watched mom after mom that I know, all these homeschool moms, start out with a really strong homeschooling style. And then the longer they homeschool, the more diverse they become in what they do. And I think you're engaging kids when you're always changing it up. And having a new project and a new way to present something to them keeps them excited about learning. Yeah, I agree with that totally. So the first thing that really benefits kids is that they get better critical thinking when they're doing hands-on projects versus just textbook or lecture. I remember being totally trained in school to search the passage for the test answer. I could tell you what the teacher was going to ask on the test because that's what we did all the time. We read the passage and then we answered the questions. Read the passage, answered the questions. And I got very good at taking tests. But that's not really real learning. That's, that's learning only for the purpose of a test, but not meaningful learning. In contrast, if you give kids an open-ended project where you don't have an exact expectation even, then they get to critically think how to do it 
and creatively come up with their own solutions. And that's actual learning. They're using their brains to construct meaning and come up with a solution. They're not just regurgitating something they read. Yeah, and you don't have to have a list of concepts that they must know. It, it can be helpful for you as the teacher to kind of have this guide. Okay, this is what I want to make sure I cover. But if you're learning about ancient Egypt and your kids never learn about mummies, the sky will not fall. It's fine. But in school, I just remember about all we did was read, take notes, and take tests. That mm -hmm. was that was the pattern. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with any of the things. There's nothing wrong with taking tests. There's nothing wrong with worksheets. What's wrong is when we get stuck in a rut. Project-based learning, hands-on learning, that allows you to create variety that opens up creativity and critical thinking. I remember a couple of years ago, my kids really wanted to do a bunch of STEM challenges. And so I said, that's, that's fine, I'll, I'll come up with something. And I decided if you want to do a STEM challenge, you better not be given any kind of answer. So I just literally gave them problems with no solutions and made them reason things out in their mind. And one of our very favorites was our Barbie bungee jump challenge. I divided my kids into two teams, the boys and girls. I gave them each a Barbie doll and then a pile of rubber bands. And I said, okay, here's your challenge. Tomorrow, you're going to stand up on our balcony in our house and you're going to drop your Barbie doll bungee style over the balcony. And whichever team comes the closest to the floor without hitting the floor wins the challenge. So you have to use the rubber bands, design a bungee cord, and figure out how many rubber bands you're going to need to make this Barbie fall perfectly without hitting. Because if she hits, she's disqualified. So did they do it with trial and error, or how did they do it? I did not let them ever send the Barbie over the wall until the actual challenge. So the only thing that I did allow, I allowed them to hook a rubber band to her ankles and figure out how far she fell with one rubber band. And then they could, you know, they measured the balcony and all of that. But I didn't give them any other tools besides the Barbie and the rubber bands. If they wanted to measure something, they had to go and find a tape measure or figure it out. But my kids did this and I watched them critically think. They, they took this project and with no instruction and no expectation from me other than we're going to do this tomorrow. Good luck. They were awesome. They both sent their Barbies over the ledge. And both came within inches of the floor, but did not touch. It was a close call. And it was awesome to watch them just think through things in this project. I think that the important thing wasn't even learning the math or the science. It was learning how to solve a problem. Right. In the layers of learning curriculum, more than once, we have experiments where we actually don't give a recipe. We actually say... Here's the problem, figure it out. For example, design an experiment. Yeah, right? design an experiment. So in unit 1-8, it's about the science of fluids, and this is actually just a sidebar in there. But it says that Archimedes said that an object displaces its own weight if it's in a fluid. And so we say design an experiment, figure out if that's true or not, and prove it. And just to be presented with that kind of problem, I never was in school, not once. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so critical. And it doesn't, not just in science, we can have those kinds of problems in history or in art. Like, here's the basic principle or here's the problem, figure it out. Like, yeah. like research this, find this out, S create your own project. Think through it. Think through it, yeah. And, and instead of just, here's the textbook, here's the key concepts, fill in the worksheet and then take the test. I mean, that is a vastly different way of thinking and learning. 
Yeah. So definitely when you're doing hands-on work, it absolutely provides an avenue for kids to really become critical thinkers. You mentioned the communication potential that comes from hands-on projects. Yeah, especially because you're often working in a group when you're doing those. We were learning about Hamlet, and this was when we were doing unit, uh, let's see, 3-5. It was unit 3-5. It's all about Shakespeare in the arts section there. And so we were doing the play Hamlet. In high school, when we did Shakespeare plays, we would go and read them, and then we would come back and discuss them as a group. We often would discuss them. But we didn't do that in, in our homeschool. Plays are meant to be watched. I found a good version that I liked of Hamlet, and we watched it, and we talked about it, and we memorized a part of it. And I think I'm remembering we did a craft that had to do with Hamlet. Maybe it was puppets or something. But through the process of that, we're talking to each other about it. But after that, for months, we were discussing Hamlet. And someone would just break out into their memorized Hamlet. Their lines. Yeah, their lines. And <laughs> and they would just start speaking. them because like, Because we found moments in our life when it was relevant. Oh, all of a sudden, Hamlet, when he talks about what a piece of work is man, I mean, that all of a sudden, that was relevant to our real lives, and we were quoting it, and we were talking about it. Yeah. And it became something fluid that we did, and that's because it was a group project. We were, we were learning about Hamlet together as a group at the same moment, and we were having the same ideas together because we were sharing them. When you're doing projects as a family, then all of a sudden, the hands-on learning is amplified. I volunteer with Cub Scouts, and just recently, we were at a day camp and I was running one of the stations. And the first thing I did when the kids got to the station was ask them what they already knew about fossils. That was our topic. They loved that part. They were so engaged. They wanted to tell what they already knew. And I think that's a great way to start just about any unit if your kids have any kind of background at all. So I think another one of the huge benefits besides critical thinking and communication is that kids with hands-on learning can really begin to fall in love with learning. I always think of my little daughter when I think of these hands-on experiences creating a love of learning because when she was really little, she went to the dentist. You know, I took her in for just a normal cleaning checkup and she just fell in love with the dentist. She liked the receptionist. She liked visiting with all the people in there. She loved the big chair and going up and down. She thought the tools were just as fascinating as could be. And we had this awesome dentist who just explained every single thing that he was doing because he knew that she was really fascinated by it all. So he pulled out all of the tooth models out of the cupboards and and this wasn't just over one appointment. This was over years of her going to the dentist. She just fell in love with the dentist. Didn't she go even when it wasn't her appointment? Uh, yes. I couldn't take anyone in our family to the dentist without Elizabeth saying, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And she asked questions and talked to the dentist's ear off the entire time. This is like when she's five or six, right? Like yeah. she was pretty young. She started out, it was her first dental appointment. So I don't even remember how old she was, but. Oh, maybe like three. Little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She loved the dentist from that moment. And a few years later, the dentist office actually presented her with her very own honorary dental degree, a certificate <laughs> that she got for Christmas under the tree. And it had a whole kit with with the latex gloves and these little dental tools and all kinds of things that the that the dentist gave her because he could tell that she was so fascinated with dentistry and she still wants to become a dentist and and studies teeth and all things dentistry all the time but i don't think that i could have gifted her that if i just read her a book about teeth and taking care of your teeth it happened because she was there and she was seeing it and she was immersed in it and part of it. 
It happened because it became a hands-on thing for her. And she just fell in love. If she'd had a different parent with a different attitude, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Because you could have said, no, it's not your appointment. Stop it. You're bothering the dentist. I mean, you could have had a different attitude about that whole thing. But you had the attitude of, okay, wherever we go, we're learning. And whatever you're interested in is important. And I'm going to let you kind of follow your passions. So I think that's part of hands-on learning. Your kids have to have that initial experience. They don't know if they want to be a plant scientist until they've gone out into the field and studied some plants. So you have to actually do it. And, and again, you're not going to get that from a textbook. A love of learning almost always comes from an experience that you have, not just from reading something fascinating. I think another important aspect of hands-on learning for kids is that it helps them to really remember the content that they're working on. There's only one learning experience from elementary school that I remember. Really, just, just one. It was in fifth grade. We did a project about the Aztecs. And it was, it was taught in isolation. I had no idea when the Aztecs were. I didn't know what else was going on in the world. I didn't know how long ago it was. I had no concept of any of that. But I remember making this diorama of Lake Titicaca and the floating islands. That's what I remember about the Aztecs from school. And that is really the only thing I can remember from elementary school because we didn't do hands-on projects very much. That really stood out. That was unique, that experience. We sometimes call that hooks to hang knowledge on. You're learning about all kinds of things, but then you do this memorable project that years later your kids will say, oh, remember when we fill in the blank. They'll remember all kinds of things that you learn if they're all a variety of different projects because they had this experience doing the project. And it helps them actually tie the the other things that they're learning to that project as well. They remember details that otherwise would be lost somewhere in the rusty bookshelves of their minds. Another one of the benefits of hands-on learning is that you can go well beyond a textbook and get into some really interesting content that you don't come across in normal school curriculum. In education, we often tend to go back to pet topics over and over and over again. So what are the pet topics, Ancient Michelle? Egypt. Ancient Egypt. That's, that's one. The Greeks and Romans. And most of them are actually history topics. Younger kids often don't do science at all. And nobody teaches geography. Not really. They call it social studies, but really there's no geography that happens. I think in art, most paintings that people are familiar with are from the Renaissance. Or in the Impressionists. I think yes. the Impressionists get picked up on too. I remember when I realized for the first time, and this was after college, I looked back and reflected on my education, and it occurred to me, oh, I really only learned about the things that happened in Europe. I don't know about most of the world. I, I think that actually happens not just in education, but it happens in all areas of our Western culture. I've been researching more about ancient Arabia, and we've got a unit on ancient Arabia, unit 112. Nobody knows anything about ancient Arabia. And, and I mean scholars, archaeologists, nobody knows anything about ancient Arabia. They're Even, just scratching the surface right yes, now. Yes, right now. They're just beginning to, to look into this. And Saudi Arabia, the country of Saudi Arabia, wants more tourism. So they've begun to do some digs, and they've begun to decipher some of the thousands of inscriptions that are across the Arabian Peninsula so that they can attract people to come to their country for tourism. We just we just don't learn about these other cultures. There are entire civilizations that were every bit as influential and big 
and important as the Persians, but you've never heard of them because it's not a pet topic. And I think when you when you start to learn together with your kids and you're doing hands-on things, you you start to click on those extra links or you start you you read a reference in a book and you're like, "Hey, let's go let's go learn about that." Or you're researching for a project and you come across something you never heard of and you can take off on rabbit trails. We like rabbit trails too. And and you can learn about these other non-pet topics you can really branch out absolutely i think the more you dive down into that interesting content the more you want to i think it takes more effort but it's worth it i I generally think that things that take more effort have more value but if you're learning about just the basics the same things everybody else has ever learned about your your life just isn't quite as rich as it is if you know extra stuff (laughs) it's true we had some people over for dinner the other day and the one of the young men was talking about how his favorite food is haggis and I was like that cannot be true oh yuck (laughs) (laughs) sorry Scotland but (laughs) but I was talking I I was talking about what haggis was and that you can't get it in the United States because like the the pluck of the sheep is illegal to sell here and things like that right and this other young man was like well how do you even know that if you've how do you know that if you can't buy haggis here in the United States? How do you even know what it is? And I was like, oh, I know all sorts of useless things. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. It's fun to know that stuff. It's, it, it's, it makes your life really more full. Again, you can make more connections to your world if you know about another world. If you understand some things about ancient Arabia, it helps you to understand your own beliefs, your own culture far more than you ever could if you just study the Western culture. Absolutely. The last benefit that we wanted to touch on today when it comes to hands-on learning is creativity. And this might be the biggest one for me, actually. I love that we are always changing up what we're doing and that my kids are constantly thinking and engaged and creative instead of just regurgitating. And that is the entire style of my homeschool is how can we create something new today? It has benefited my kids in so many areas of their lives. They've become real creators of things. They have really big ideas and they're always wanting to try new things and think through new ways to do things. And the more you practice creativity, the better you get at it. You're not going to be able to practice creativity by just reading. You have to discuss, you have to work on projects, you have to try things, you have to be presented open-ended questions. And if you're doing hands-on things and you're presenting kids with ideas and then they have to turn that into a finished product on their own, then that's where they really get creative. And, and your creativity happens in every aspect. It's not just art. Sometimes we think of creativity and art as being exclusive to one another, and it's not. Science, math is creative. History can be creative. You know, There's all kinds of areas where you can get creative with any kind of learning. We had done Unit 119, the geography section about Australia. And I asked my kids at the end of it, I said, I just want you to take something that you learned from this unit and create some sort of visual and put it on a giant trifold poster that I had purchased. So I just put the big poster out on the table and I said, it's up to you. You get to, you can go find things online that you want to include. You can write captions, you can draw pictures, you can do any kind of project or anything that you want, as long as it can go on this trifold poster. It was a gigantic so poster. So all, all four of your kids were working on the one poster together? One poster yeah. together. It was it was a co- totally collaborative project that we did all together. I had no preconceived idea about what it was going to look like or what topic they chose. It might have been that all of them chose the Great Barrier Reef. I didn't know. But I just let them 
create what they wanted to create based, based on what they had learned. Did they all choose the Great Barrier Reef? They, they did not all choose. <laughs> Actually, they talked it out because they realized we don't want to have all repeats. And so without me involved at all, they talked it all out and decided what topics they could do and kind of negotiated what their topics would be. So that goes back to that communication we were talking about. They got better at working with the group. I could have told them, look, you are going to do the Great Barrier Reef and I would like you to make a chalk drawing of the coral and you are going to, you know, I could have divvied up the assignments like that, but it was far more valuable for me to leave this open-ended project for them and let them go at it. So how did it turn out? It turned out great, but I did find that I had to stop myself all of the time because I tend to want things to be just perfectly straight on the poster and have, you know, balanced sides to my trifold diorama. I had to stop myself because there is a key to creativity that you have to know if you're going to be a hands-on homeschool mom. If you want your kids to be creative, you have to give only constructive and positive criticism when they are in the creative process. Because one bad remark will bring all of their creativity to an absolute stop. It pretty much reduces the whole project to what they did wrong. All of a sudden, all that stuff about Australia is gone. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, none, nothing they did right matters. It's all about how it wasn't straight on the poster. Right, right. And so I had to stop and really hold myself back. But then when I looked at their finished product at the end, it was fantastic. They did such a good job on it. And it was all their work. It was their ideas, their project completely. And they had done it together. And, and the polished aspects of it, making everything neat, having the backgrounds just so, having the handwriting just centered, that kind of stuff will come as they get maturity and, and they grow. Absolutely. Part of being a hands-on homeschool is accepting that there are going to be mistakes and messiness and things that come up along the way that aren't perfect. That's okay. It's really key that we keep in mind the goal is creativity it, the goal is them to learn. The goal is for them to work in this group, to gain their communication skills. The goal isn't to have an A-plus project. So that really ties into how to actually implement this in your homeschool. The very first thing, if you're going to be a hands-on homeschool, stop expecting perfection. That's not the goal. The goal is learning and creativity and growth. It is not perfection. A lot of times that's actually really hard for me. And, and maybe that's because that's the way I was trained. And through my education, it was all about how does the final product look? And you've got to get an A, right. right? I think it's important to acknowledge that everybody in your homeschool and every kid is in a different place in their education. You're not going to have the same level of work from your first grader that you have from your fifth grader or your eighth grader or your 11th grader. Well, and even different eighth graders will have a different level of work because we're not all in the same place in our mental maturity, in our skill gaining, and your child may have greater skill in one area than another. And, and we need to sort of let that, some of that go. Our expectations that everyone needs to be leveled. Everyone needs to be just where they should be. Absolutely. Letting go of that is one of the best things you can do for your kids because what they need is a growth mindset, not a you should be here and you're not here mindset. That doesn't help anyone. No, it will make them feel like, well, I'm not here and so therefore I'm a failure. And what you want to do is, is convince them that you can get better at everything that you're doing. Right. There's, there's always room for growth and improvement. But one of the things that a lot of moms do when they start hands-on homeschooling is they look at the picture of this finished project that they have in their mind and they want to make sure that happens for their kids. 
they help their kids. They straighten the thing on the poster. They do the cutting for them. They do the cutting for them. <laughs> I'm I'm guilty. I might have been guilty of that. I have no patience. So yeah, I might have sped up some projects. <laughs> but we have this picture in our minds and we need to let go of that picture. And instead, we need to let our kids do their projects where they are at. So I remember when I was visiting my big brother one time and he had been helping his son write a paper. And he was frustrated and his son was frustrated. So this is my little nephew. And he he was really doing a good job. But he was in junior high. And my brother finally looked at me with some exasperation. He said, can you help him write this paper? I can't write on a junior high level. And, you know, he's he has an MBA and he's very educated. And he's he can, also a perfectionist. He's a perfectionist. Yeah. And he can write a really solid paper. But him writing his son's paper wasn't going to do anything for his son. And he knew that. But he couldn't figure out how to help his son at a junior high level, at the level that his son was at, without trying to make it perfect. We need to let go of that perfect. And we need to let kids grow from where they're at. If you're not sure how that works, like, okay, but how do you do that? I think it takes practice. And I think it takes you changing your mindset from the finished product to the process. The process that your child is going through is way more important than the finished product. And again, I think our educational systems tend to train us that only the grade at the end matters. And and that's actually not true. Well, when it comes to that process, I think very practically speaking, one of the things that you have to do to help kids grow from where they're at, instead of expecting this perfection, is to stop telling them what to do and ask them more questions. So like with my nephew, when I sat down to help him write the paper, he had written a rough draft. And what was happening is we were trying to make it a good enough version to turn into his teacher. So instead of me saying, oh, that should say this. Instead, I had to ask him, how could you say that in a way with more descriptive words so that your teacher is going to be able to see what you mean? Or ask him just could you add two more sentences to this paragraph? Because it just feels like there's not enough there. It's simple things, but you have them do the work. You never step in and do the work. You let your kids do the projects. It's their hands that are on the projects, not yours. Yeah, and I think it's also an important mindset for for you as the teacher mom to realize that it's okay if it flops. And And the reason that that's okay is because you actually learn more from the mistakes you make than you will ever learn from getting it perfect, from doing it just right. You really do. So if you have an experiment, it's like a science experiment that you're doing and it's hands-on and you're kind of like, well, kids, let's do this. And it, you can't figure it out and it doesn't work. It's okay. It's okay if it doesn't work. It's okay if you can never get the color in the test tube to change, change to blue. It, it's okay. <laughs> you're, you're learning and you're solving and hopefully you're, you're not just... Well, we tried it once and we give up. Hopefully you're trying it a few times and you're working through some of the problems and you're trying to solve it with your kids, you know, but that's that that's, critical thinking yes. and the creativity and also the, the remembering. And, and that's where All you learn. You're learning from making those mistakes. So, yeah. The next thing that you need to do to really implement a hands-on homeschool is that you have to change three things all at once in your homeschool. If you don't change all three, you're not really going to get the benefits of hands-on homeschooling. The first one is curriculum. The second one is instruction. And the third one is assessment. So we'll go into each of those. First of all, the curriculum, we've already mentioned today, if it's just going to be textbook-based and regurgitation, you'll never really have a hands-on homeschool. 
you have to be willing to get into the living books. You know, we like videos because often videos are made by experts. The same way that living books are written by experts. You have to get people who are passionate and interested. You're using their resources and then you're doing projects. And you just don't find that in dry textbooks. The second one, the instruction part of the, of the three things that you need to change all at once is that you have to step back and stop thinking of yourself as a teacher and start thinking of yourself as a learner alongside your kids. You can't have all the answers and expect the perfection. You've got to let go of that role and really just accept the hands-on messiness. And we talk quite a bit about being a learner alongside your kids and how beneficial that is to your children as well as to yourself. You are going to like homeschooling, you are going to last a lot longer in it if you're engaged and interested in learning than if you're just the teacher. You're, you're going to want to quit homeschooling a lot more often if you're not also engaged in learning, if it's not interesting to you. When you're thinking about this hands-on learning, you need to consider yourself as well as your kids because you're also homeschooling. You're also part of this equation. And I think that it really helps if you can be engaged and it will help your kids model they'll model your learning and your enthusiasm and your problem solving. Absolutely. That third one, the assessment part, is also something that we kind of touched on. Okay, if you can let go of the idea of here's a list of facts and perfect key terms that we need and we're going to read the passage and then come out with the right information, take the test, and then inevitably you brain dump after that because the test is over, right? Yeah, that's, that's how I, that was the pattern like through education, my education. But that brain dump in and of itself is saying, I didn't learn it. Yeah, I just and, learned and, it for a moment. And it doesn't matter. And it was boring. I mean, you're obviously, whether you are thinking that explicitly, it, it's implied that no, nothing you learned even matters. We don't really want that for our kids, do we? I mean, that's not why we're homeschooling. That's not why we're putting in all this effort. If all you want is an A report card at the end, then you kind of miss the point of you're making yourself a more whole person, a thoughtful person, a problem-solving creative person by learning in this style. If you just want A's on a report card, you can just send your kids wherever. So instead of doing an assessment, what do you do? Like like you, you said change three things. So we're going to change from a textbooky kind of curriculum to a hands-on kind of curriculum. We're going to change from being an instructor to being a learner, and we're going to change assessments from being tests to being... Truthfully, the way that I do it, instead of tests where I give them questions and they have to answer, is I give a lot of narrations and essay-type things. We write, but it's writing where I say, write, write to me about what you learned, or what was the most fascinating thing... Or who was an interesting person in this unit that you connected with? Or, or projects and oral reports. Those can be... Right. But it stems from them because this whole process was about your kid learning something. So what made an impact on your kid is really what they learned. How are they changed? How are they different? How do they know more or think differently now than they did before? And that won't be a super intensely meaningful thing for every kid on every single unit. It just won't. But they will have times where they really connect with things. And the other times, they're still practicing communicating and telling the things that they learned and that they know. And we have, actually, we have a post on our website on layersoflearning.com where we talk about how to assess layers of learning work. And so we'll put a link to that in the 
show notes so you'll be able to see how we assess that and we write it out spell it out for you and i think that that will probably help too see how okay you in some places depending on the jurisdiction you live in you may need to actually have grades yes um so how do you translate that into real grades if you're not doing a traditional tests and traditional grading on papers and so on so well, and on occasion, I do give my kids traditional tests. Yeah, because they need to learn how to take tests. And yeah. I actually think when you take a test, again, everything has a place. It's just following that pattern obsessively is what causes the problem. It's not the test itself because tests signal to your brain also, oh, I do need to make a mental effort to remember this stuff. Right. And so sometimes I'll give my kids tests on things too because I'm like, okay, I want you to make a mental effort to remember these things. Because without an assessment, without a test, you don't necessarily have to try very hard. At least my kids don't. We don't really recall every single thing that we read or that we discuss. But there is a place for memorization. Right. Yeah. So if there's something important, then that is a, a good place to have a test. If there's something that you think, oh, we should really know this moving forward. But if it was more of a critical thinking exercise, I mean, is it really, really important for us to know every single fact about atoms? Is that critical for my life? No, it's not. But there are some common knowledge things that in order to be an educated person, we probably should be able to recall these things. Yeah, your kids should probably be able to draw and label a basic diagram of an atom. Right. Right. So there's a place for all of this. But to be a successful hands-on homeschool, you're going to be looking for variety. Instead of this fact, test, brain dump cycle, we're looking for a lot of change up in variety and creativity. And that comes from reading your kids a lot of times too. So I can't tell you the exact perfect way to do it because your kids are different than mine. And my kids are different day to day. I really, really love having a hands-on homeschool. The longer I do it, the more I love it. And I think part of that is because I've watched how it does engage my kids' minds. Hands-on really is minds-on. So the more you can have the hands-on projects, the better your kids are going to become at thinking critically, at being effective communicators, at remembering what you're learning at learning things that not everyone knows, those interesting little tidbits that aren't the pet topics. And they're going to become a lot stronger creatively. And all of that leads to this, this overall love of learning. Right. It changes us as people instead of just, oh, look, we got A's on a report card. It changes who we are and the way that we think and the way that we interact with our world. And so this hands-on is minds-on concept will translate through your whole life. Yeah, and, and we also talked about how you can actually implement that in your homeschool. So first of all, stop being a perfectionist. Stop looking for the perfect plan. Stop expecting perfection from your kids. Really let them do the projects, even when they don't turn out quite like it was pictured in your mind. In fact, get rid of that picture in your mind. Celebrate you the mistakes. Yeah, and, and understand that when you make mistakes, you're learning more. And then the three essentials, change your curriculum. You, you need to have a curriculum that is hands-on or or use your curriculum in a hands-on way and be a learner with your kids. And then the third essential is to let go of the fact, test, brain dump cycle where you're just regurgitating information instead of really engaging with it. We hope you'll join us next time. We're going to talk next time about letting kids own their learning. We get a lot of questions about how to do that and what that looks like. So we're hoping to answer some of those for you. See you then. Thanks for joining us.
Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com and on our Facebook group. Make sure to tune in next month for our new podcast. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have Have fun fun learning. learning!